I have to admit, I'm dexterially challenged. I couldn't do it, so I couldn't put two fingers together. But thank you, Dr. Nettigan. Well, let me allow, allow me, please, to add my warm welcome to those that have already been offered, whether you are joining us here in person or worshiping with us at home. This is one of my favorite uh, weeks of the year when we emphasize missions, as Dr. Nanikin mentioned earlier. Uh, we, we emphasize missions throughout the year, but this is one week out of the year that we really bring our missionaries in and spend time with them, getting to know them better. My text for this morning is going to be taken out of Philippians chapter 1, and if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me, Philippians chapter 1, <clears throat> excuse me, as you're doing that, to uh, introduce the theme of my sermon this morning, I want to uh, share a true story about a very unlikely partnership that was formed on July 23rd, 1904, at the St. Louis World Fair. It was an extremely hot day that day, and, uh, and people were scurrying about looking for something that might help them to cool down. That was good news for Arnold Fanachu, who was an 18-year-old ice cream vendor who was there that day, and, uh, and it was just what the crowd was looking for, some cool, refreshing ice cream. In fact, people lined up for what seemed to be miles to get some satisfaction from his ice cream. And at first, Arnold was so happy. I mean, he was thrilled. Uh, however, it wasn't long before he knew that he was in a, a great deal of trouble. You see, he wasn't nearly prepared enough to handle the massive demand for his ice cream that day. And so very quickly, he ran out of uh, paper bowls, and as a result, it forced him to have to wash some porcelain bowls he had over and over and over again. And as you can well imagine, that would mean uh, the sanitation would rapidly decline. That was a big problem. But an even bigger problem, I think, is that um, the ice cream vendor could not wash the dishes quick enough to meet the demand for this ice cream that hot summer day. Now, fortunately for Arnold, right next to him, right next to his ice cream booth, was a booth for a Syrian pastry chef was working named Ernest Hemwe. Hemwe. And at his booth, he was making a Persian waffle. Um, and, and Ernest uh, also had a problem, because who wants to eat hot waffles on a hot summer day, right? But all that was about to quickly change because he saw an opportunity, and he, he jumped on it. Arnold saw this growing problem. He took out and rolled out some of his fresh dough, and then very carefully he shaped it into an edible conical kind of cone. And he took it over to Arnold, and he said, let me tell you how you can put some ice cream into this pastry that I've created. And although there's no way for us to know with 100% accuracy, historians tell us that on that hot July day in 1904, we had the birth of the ice cream cone. And uh, what, a wonderful, what a wonderful partnership that formed, a sweet, long-lasting partnership. I can't think of few things that are more perfect combination than an ice cream cone with ice cream in it. Everybody agree with me on that? It's truly a perfect partnership. Now, speaking of partnerships, as we turn now to our biblical text, and we look here at Philippians 1, allow me to share that uh, the church of Philippi was, uh, was started with some pretty uh, in, in, 
unimportant people. They were jailers, they were merchants and everything you would imagine. But it turned out to be one of the most loving relationships, a favorite partnerships of Paul for many, many years to come. In fact, at the time he was writing Philippians, he had it already had passed 10 years since Paul had worked and ministered among them. And yet, I think you're going to see very clearly in just a minute that their love for each other, this partnership had not diminished the slightest. Clearly demonstrating a principle that I hope to, you'll hear my heart today say often and often, and, and it'll really sink in as we begin our Missions Emphasis Week 2023. That principle is this. Sending a missionary out isn't the church's finish line. Do you hear that? Not the finish line. It is the beginning of a long journey a partnership. Sending a missionary out isn't the church's finish line. It is the beginning of what I hope we'll see a long journey of partnership. And looking today here at the biblical example that Paul had with this partnership with the Philippian church, I want to ask and I want to answer the question, how should their example challenge Chantilly Bible Church as we enter into this conference? How should it shape our understanding of what a healthy mission, partnership, gospel partnership looks like. And to begin with, let's look here at verses 3 and 4 and notice what Paul writes, how he opens this letter. After the general greetings, he starts out saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. There are a few things I think we would agree this morning that resonate in our human heart more than experiencing a type of relationship that seems to be present here with Paul. I'm talking here, brothers and sisters in Christ, about a very tender, affectionate, deeply affectionate, overwhelming joy, purpose, and thanksgiving-filled type of relationship. I wonder today, as you think about those characteristics, do you have any relationships in your life that you would characterize in this way?
told you, hear the words, in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God, I love verse 8, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affection, the affection of Christ Jesus. Beautiful, isn't it? That word partnership, or even participation here in our text, is a Greek word that we're very familiar with, koinonia, a word that is frequently translated fellowship. And the problem with that rendering is that when we American believers hear the word fellowship, we immediately think of coffee and cookies and shallow conversations. They're core values in most churches, right? Cookies and coffee. Well, it is true that drinking coffee and eating cookies is a part of our Christian fellowship. I believe with all my heart it is just such a small part when we think about koinonia, our partnership is all about. Interestingly, as I, dig, I dug into this word a little bit this week, in my research, I found that the word koinonia originally had commercial overtones. If, for example, two men bought a boat and they started a fishing business together, they were said to be in a koinonia or a formal business partnership. And as a result of this koinonia or this partnership, they were now sharing a common vision and they were willing to invest personally their own resources together so that their vision together, their business might become a reality. In other words, when Paul's readers heard the word koinonia, our partnership here, I believe that they understood that the word partnership had financial overtones. And I believe also that it had a call of personal sacrifice and of a shared commitment together. They were on a task together. So as Paul talks here about a genuine partnership in verse 5, I believe we need to understand for that to be the partnership God intends, you need to keep in mind here that Paul is talking about a shared priority. That's the first characteristic I see in a healthy genuine partnership of the gospel. Looking back at verse 7, notice how Paul rejoiced knowing that these believers were in a partnership with the gospel of Jesus Christ from the moment that they trusted in Jesus as their savior. These Philippian believers did not just sit back and applaud Paul's efforts and missionary work. Amazingly, Paul notes here that from the very first time that they heard and trusted in the gospel, right to the day that he's writing this letter, some 10 years have passed, their partnership with Paul and the gospel has never wavered. Dear friends, I hope you understand the significance of that. Making disciples, telling others about forgiveness from our sins was one of the most important and supreme purposes in Jesus' coming. Every beat of our Savior's heart throbbed to save souls. And that's why when his last commands in Acts 1.8, he, he, he challenges us to proclaim the gospel anywhere and everywhere we are placed. And as, as was mentioned earlier in Acts 1.8, Jesus commands us saying, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and listen, even to the uttermost parts of the world. And the thing that makes this task so very important, and we often forget about it or we don't think about it a whole lot, is as we were reminded this morning that when a person dies without having the gospel, 
They are lost and they are helpless. They are hopeless and they are hellbound. And that's why the priority of our church and the priority of our hearts as members of this church must always be evangelistic. It must be missions both here and throughout the world. Or to simply put it as our theme emphasizes this year to live as light wherever God places us. I love the words of Matthew 5, 14 through 16. We've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, but these words just pop up. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a, a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others. Why? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When someone places a lamp in their home, Jesus says, practically, they're going to put it in the most advantageous place positioning in the house. And likewise, in the same way, he says, right, we must do the same with our lives. We must consider this challenge of Jesus when we decide where and how we're going to live or work and wherever we go to live as light wherever God places us. With that thought in mind, I want to put a picture up onto the screen. I wonder how many of you have noticed a sign at our exit that's on the screen right there. How many? Raise your hand. How many of us rarely think about what that sign means? I know that it's become almost common now that I don't think about that sign from the bottom of my heart was placed there to emphasize. It's there to remind us, brothers and sisters in Christ, that the gospel is good news for everyone, everywhere we go. And that not anyone we can think of, no one, not a single person on this planet is beyond God's grace, love, or concern. It's also there to remind us of one of our core values, a reminder that all of us should love lost people because our God does. But let's admit it. And I'm right there with you. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes it's frightening to share our faith at work or in our neighborhoods or in our schools. There's a fear of potentially damaging relationships or the fear of making our, our workplace or our neighbors uh, uh, uncomfortable when they're around us. There may be the fear of repercussions from those in authority over or are honestly just coming across, well, just a little weird because there is a lot of weird stuff going out there. And that's why during this year's Missions Emphasis Week, we wanted to have a really good balance. You see, we believe it's our equal privilege and responsibility, not just to send people across the world to share the gospel, but for us to take the opportunities to go across the street and share the gospel. And so we've invited Scott Breslin to teach a seminar this year. He's one of our missionaries. And that'll be this coming Friday and go through Sunday morning, next Sunday, he will speak here on some practical and natural ways, effective ways that you can live out and share your faith in the, in the job place that you, God has placed you, in your home, in your neighborhoods, in your schools. And I hope with all my heart that everyone will prayerfully consider participating in this practical equipping event. I am convinced as I just mentioned a moment ago, that every believer, every follower of Jesus Christ needs to be fully committed, equipped, and ready to do all that we can 
so that lost people will have the opportunity everywhere that we go to hear and to place their trust in Jesus Christ and to grow to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. We lose sight of that, folks. We lose sight of everything. The Church of Philippi understood the importance of spreading the word far and wide as possible. They supported Paul's missionary work to reach people for Christ, starting new works all around them. But hear me, they, 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 they also took very seriously the privilege and the awesome responsibility of personally showing and telling others who Jesus is and how it is possible to have a relationship with him. I wonder, do we understand that privilege and awesome responsibility? Let me recall with you that sending a missionary isn't out isn't just the church's finish line, but rather it's the beginning of a long journey of partnership. A second thing that I see in this text is a gospel partnership that is healthy. We need to understand that Paul has in mind a shared affection. Look back with me at verses 7 and 8, a shared affection. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart. For you all are partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. As Paul wrote this letter, remember, he was hundreds of miles away under house arrest in Rome. And when the Philippian believers heard of Paul's imprisonment, they sent Epaphroditus, who was likely one of their church leaders, at least part of the church there, to visit, to assist, and to encourage them. Epaphroditus arrived with words of affirmation and affection from the church that Paul must have needed, as well as a financial contribution that would help him to be able to be in that confinement in a comfortable and effectful and useful way. Later in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, acknowledging that gift, look what Paul writes. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Folks, um, an important part of our gospel partnership is sharing our God-given resources as a church with others for the sake of of Christ and for the gospel. And I know that we have a number of folks here that are new to our church over the last, praise God for you, we're so grateful to have you. And, and maybe some of you who've been around for a while don't know this either, that that's why every, with every undesignated gift that is given to this church at CBC, 13%, 13 cents on every dollar goes to our partners in the gospel. Now, practically speaking, that means that, Lord willing, this year somewhere around two hundred dollars to $240,000 will be set aside to be distributed to our Chantilly Bible Church uh, missionary family. Let me interject something here. This is really important to me because it's not just about the money. If, if, if that's all we hear here, we miss something big here. You definitely miss my heart. At Chantilly Bible Church, the priority of relationships always supersedes any dollar figure we give. I don't want a wall filled with pictures on our wall out there. I want genuine heart partnerships. Our partnerships only take flesh on and bone 
when you and I know Jonathan and Heidi B's heart for the Middle East. Our partnerships only take on flesh and bone when we understand and are praying regularly for the compassionate heart that John and Linda Heater have for the most desperately poor people of Jamaica. Our partnerships take flesh and bone when we understand, and I've talked to them this morning, Bob and Tanny's heart for equipping and discipling church planners for Ethiopia, and Tim and Jeannie P's evangelical evangelistic heart for the, the Spain, the people of Spain. But we don't have to go all the way across the world. I, I don't want you to miss this either. We have Laura Bowers here as she reaches disciples, women, athletes, and coaches at George Mason with Athletes in Action. Our Sanctity of Life Ministries who exist to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to affirm life in the womb by offering compassionate, supportive, educational, and medical services to women who find themselves in uh, unplanned pregnancies. And so I hope you'll hear my heart here that while we must recognize the importance of generous financial giving to the Lord's work, like Epaphrodites here, I believe it's, it's how we personally, as a church, as a church body, connect and love and encourage and pray for our partners in the gospel that makes the genuine and the biggest difference. In fact, take a look at verse 8. I love this verse. It just touches my heart every time. Calling on God as his witness, Paul declares, I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. That's the attitude. That's the heart I want every year when our missionaries visit us to feel about us. In the original Greek, it's interesting. The word affection here literally means inward parts or vowels or intestine. Lovely thought, huh? Before lunch. Uh, so in a sense, Paul's saying, I love you with all my liver or my spleen. We're really romantic, guys. Don't try that one on your next card. But it, it sounds gross to us today, but you need to understand that in Paul's day, the intestines were, uh, were the, inner, uh, the inner parts of a man, not the heart, were considered to be the seed of the deepest and richest emotions. It's, by the way, the very same word in the original Greek used in the New Testament to describe Christ's feelings when he saw hungry people or hurting people and he was moved to compassion to meet their needs. We're talking here about a love that is so strong that it, it moves to action, to feed, to heal, to teach, and ultimately to go to the cross and die for us. And likewise, I believe that that type of affection Paul had for his readers, the way he prayed for them, the way he was willing to live or die for them, it flowed out of an affection that existed in Paul's heart because of his relationship with Jesus. And clearly, this genuine love and compassion Paul had for the Philippians was mutual. As I thought about that, I came across the most beautiful passage. I don't know how I've missed it in the past. It's in 3 John. I know you ladies are studying 3 John right now, but I came across 3 John 1, verses 6 through 8. And here, uh, John is commending Gaius, who was apparently a church leader, and his congregation for the way they unselfishly and generously and willingly gave support to traveling missionaries and evangelists. Here's what he writes. See if you don't find it as beautiful as I did. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, 
accepting nothing from the non-believers. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that they may be fellow workers for the truth. I want you to look at those words with me for just a moment. And I want to challenge all of us this week as we have opportunities to meet, interact, and hear about the ministry needs and and the exciting things that are happening in our missionaries' lives here. Uh, I I want each one of us to truly search deep into our own hearts uh, on one or two particular roles that we might have in helping to send them, as John says here in the text, send them out in a manner worthy of God. What an impact that would be. Because remember, let's not forget, the sending a missionary out isn't the church's finish line, but rather it's the beginning. It's the beginning of a long journey of partnership. Third, we see that if we're to understand a genuine partnership, it requires that we have a shared dedication to prayer. Looking back at verse 3, Imagine hearing these words from the Apostle Paul sent here to Chantilly Bible Church. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for all of you. Wow. Look down at verses 9 and 10 and look at how he asked to be uh, for, for them and prayed for them. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge all discern- and in all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. I feel that I can confidently say to all of you today that that Paul obviously believed that prayer was a powerful, effective, and necessity for a healthy gospel partnership. In fact, even though Paul was a great apostle, I look up to him, I almost see him flying around with a cape, you know? Great, one of the greatest missionaries in all the world. He, he truly knew and acknowledged his own weaknesses and uh, utterly depended upon the prayers of God's people uh, interse- intervening for him. Look down at chapter 1, verse 19, and look what he says here. Here he is in house arrest, and look what he says. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. One of my favorite passages and one of the most encouraging to me as a pastor is Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, where Paul again says, keep alert and with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And I love verse 19 and also for me that the words may be given in the opening up of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Here was the greatest missionary in all time, probably asking churches to pray for clarity. I could take you to other passages just like that. It's so easy, you know, for us to think that our prayers don't mean anything, but that is so untrue. Our prayers for missionaries prayed in our bedrooms, in our living rooms, or our kitchens, or in our car, driving around the beltway, truly do matter. God, you see, uses faithful prayers of his people to transform the world including, and and most importantly, perhaps, the hearts and minds of those who do the praying, prayer. And that's why if you look in your book, the the booklet that you received about this coming week, the Missions Emphasis Week, if you look on pages eight and nine, you'll see that we've dedicated two full pages to encourage you to consider joining one of our missionary care teams. 
These teams are formulated to ensure that every one of our Chantilly Bible Church missionaries gets the support they need uh, from groups of people dedicated to them within our church, consistent prayer support, help with practical needs during visits, such as providing housing, dinners, and transportation, encouragement, remembering them on their special days, birthday cards, sending an email, actually responding when you get their prayer letter saying, thank you for sharing this. How can, you know, I'm grateful for you, or just the kind of like what Paul was thanking the Philippian believers for. And there are two ways to sign up for these care teams. Look around at these blue banners all around the building here. Each one of them contains a, a prayer sheet for you to sign up there, or you can send an email, as it says, to missions at chantillybible.org. When you sign up, you'll receive a monthly update from your missionary, and we ask that as you receive it, and our missionaries are depending on this, that you would pray daily for them. Now listen up very carefully here for a second. Um, you know, COVID has had a huge impact on almost everything. And one of the areas that has had a huge impact is on our care teams. And so this year we are making a fresh start. We want our list to be 100% accurate. That means practically that even if you're on a care team right now, if you want to continue to be on that care team, you must sign up either, again, two ways, one of the blue um, banners hanging around the room are sending a, an email to missions at Chantilly Bible Church. I hope you recognize the difference that your prayer can make. And finally, in addition to a shared priority, a shared affection, and a shared dedication to prayer, I, taking verse 6 here, I would add a shared confidence. Look at what Paul writes. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I've always loved this verse, um, a promise that God finishes whatever he starts. I think so often we get excited about things and then we lose interest and we don't finish them. How many of us have unfinished projects in their home right now? You don't have to raise your hand. Your wife will get mad at you, but, uh, but it is a common problem. I think we all, but maybe it's a lack of uh, power. Maybe it's a lack of resources, but whatever. I think we commonly drop the ball when it comes to finishing things. God says, I will finish. I promise I will finish whatever I began. And praise the Lord, God's work for us began when Christ died on the cross for our sins. His work in us to save us began when we first put our trust in Jesus. And God's work continues to work now in our lives, transforming us and making us more like Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit and guaranteeing that his work will be finished just as he promised he would. And here's the thing. What I see in this text is Paul is so confident that when he stands before the judgment seat of Christ. He fully expects to rejoice in a harvest of souls like the Philippians who have grown to maturity. And he also, I see in this text, anticipates joy on judgment day because in his ministry efforts, he is confident that those who prayed for him, those who supported him, those who encouraged him will share in those rewards and the fruit of his labor. In fact, if you look at chapter four, verse 17, it says here that when he received their gift, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I believe Paul is saying that we will share in the blessings of those missionaries that we support and pray in a healthy partnership. 
Wrapping up, I started out by saying, hey, I'm going to ask a question and answer it. How should the example of these Philippian believers and Paul together in their partnership challenge our thinking, shape our understanding about what a genuine partnership in the gospel is? I hope I've done that today as we've looked in God's word. And as we move into 2023 here with this missions uh, emphasis week, I hope you understand the shared priority we all share in the gospel. I hope you see the affection that we should share with our missionary partners, the dedication to prayer, and the confidence that one day God will reward us for the work that we have done together in this partnership. The one thing that screams out to me as I look at these characteristics is, folks, it's not just going to happen. These things are not going to happen unless we, with God's grace and help, choose to make them happen. So let's remember, as we wrap up here today, that sending a missionary out isn't the church's finish line. Can you say that with me? Sending a missionary out isn't the church's finish line. It's the beginning of a long lesson. One more time. Sending a missionary out isn't the church's finish line. It's the beginning. Amen? Amen. What we're going to do is we're going to end today differently than what we normally end. We're not going to have a closing song. We wanted to give you some opportunity to walk around and take a look together at the banners here. I find that sometimes procrastination is my biggest enemy. So if God's spoken to your heart today, I want to encourage you to walk up and sign up to one of these uh, prayer guides, our prayer uh, list here. Thank you for listening. I'm excited about this week. I hope you are too. And I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to teach us this week. Let me go ahead and close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Okay. Father, thank you. Thank you for this uh, wonderful example of Paul and these Philippian uh, believers in the church in Philippi. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church family to recognize that, Father, it's, it's not how we how we start, but how we finish, as we would understand this partnership and that we would indeed have the type of uh, characteristics that will make us as effective as we possibly can be in that uh, responsibility. Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for each person that is here. Go before them now. Go with them. I thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.